Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs, and today we get to talk to Tim Woods. And Tim is the founding partner at Poco Labs and general manager at the Autonomous Vehicle Alliance. Uh, which is located in Michigan. So Poco Labs has worked with clients like Disney, Microsoft, and Best Buy, and they help develop products that engage consumers essentially on another level of engagement. And the Autonomous Vehicle Alliance is a group of leading autonomous autonomous vehicle companies like Ford, Toyota, Google, and Bosch. And the alliance focuses on issues around the consumer um, and how they're going to react and how their lives will change with autonomous vehicles which is a quite an interesting uh, angle. And Tim also has quite an interesting background, which I'm, I'm excited to hear about. So, Tim, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Definitely. So can you tell us a little bit uh, about your background? Sure. So um, <laughs> kind of through happenstance uh, and um, sheer luck, I think, ended up where I am today. <laughs> I, I actually, um, I, I go way back, uh, was going to be an electrical engineer. And um, uh, changed that to a business major <laughs> and, and went into marketing and worked uh, uh, early on in my career in advertising. Um, had the uh, very good luck of shifting from that industry to uh, product development years and years ago and uh, have been in that space pretty much ever since, um, moving from uh, just doing kind of marketing and sales and those sorts of things into uh, pure consulting and um, kind of leveraging my marketing background in uh, kind of new ways uh, related to consumer research and um, the different tools that we use at Poco Labs uh, to get to new opportunities for our clients. Nice. And what was some of the projects you worked on in your past or one of the projects that kind of stands out? Oh, well, you know, (laughs) it's interesting. Um, so I, I was working at a very, very traditional um, product development company uh, early on in my career. And um, as the world started turning towards technology uh, in the kind of the mid-90s, and when that industry had its first kind of downturn towards the uh, end of the 90s, um, we had been doing some work in the connected home space. And um, there was an opportunity to work with an organization through one of our clients at the time called the Internet Home Alliance. And it's a, it's a, it was a large organization, that uh, an, an important organization that nobody, quite frankly, has ever heard of. <laughs> um, they, um, they had members such as Microsoft, Cisco, uh, Panasonic, Intel, GM OnStar, um, Sears at the time, uh, Best Buy. There were about 45 different companies from across um, kind of the connected ecosystem. And if you remember back in those days, in the um, early 2000s, uh, late 90s, um, the Internet was kind of a new thing, particularly in people's lives. Um, And what these companies knew and understood was it was going to kind of change everything. It was going to change their business models. It was going to change consumer lives. But they really didn't know how at the time. And the IHA, the Internet Home Alliance, was an organization that was formed to apply ecosystem thinking to connectivity 
And what was that going to mean? What were smart homes? How were they going to evolve? What was mobility going to look like? What was health and energy? All of these different um, topics around connectivity. And, you know, back then we didn't have iPhones and we barely had mobile phones at that time. You know, we just came out of the bag phone era. <laughs> and, um, and, and it was interesting. And, and what they did is uh, we, we, I ran the research program. We did 45 pieces of research, everything from very small projects all the way up to full-scale pilots. We built 20 uh, smart connected kitchens in Boston. Wow. We developed one of the first mobile worker hotspots uh, in a mall in Plano, Texas. Um, we, we did some extraordinary work, and, and we, we realized a lot of interesting things through the work that we did. That organization basically um, ceased to exist after about six years. At that point in time, most of the companies that were involved uh, were internalizing the information that they had learned from the organization and started to uh, bring forward new products and new ideas around uh, the connected home and mobility. And it was probably one of the most fruitful experiences that I ever had. And what was interesting about that is that led to the um, founding of Poco Labs, which is my mm-hmm. company. And and um, my partner in this is uh, Tom Pavlak. And we're two very, very different birds. <laughs> um, it, it, Tom is a, uh, des- a designer by degree, yet thinks critically like an engineer um, about kind of the end product and, and, and how you make that those things become real in the end. And my view is uh, more kind of um, leaning towards the empathetic side of the consumer research side. Um, uh, but we we uh, we share the same passion, I think, for finding out what's next for our customers and for consumers. And what was interesting for us is that um, as we started to move forward, the companies that were part of the Internet Home Alliance became um, customers of Poco Labs. Mm-hmm. And... We worked on some extraordinary projects with Microsoft and the Xbox and Xbox One. Uh, we were the first uh, consumer research product development company to ever do consumer testing for HoloLens, which is the augmented um, wow. reality glasses that Microsoft has developed, which are phenomenal and um, and interesting in, <laughs> in their application capabilities all at the same time. Um, we worked with Direct Energy. We worked with uh, Disney and Intel on uh, high high speed entertainment, customized, personalized entertainment delivery in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, it, we we've been part of uh, kind of the cutting edge uh, with many of our clients in uh, in the identification and understanding what the real consumer facing value propositions are around the application of technology to consumers' everyday lives. And, and we've been blessed in that way. And um, uh, I will tell you that this evolution has been very interesting for us because being as old as we are, <laughs> being there at the beginning of the connected home and, and, and how that evolved and how it surprised a lot of people, what was really interesting to us is um, about two years ago, we had worked on a project for a company called Spartan Motors. They were a, a client of ours. And uh, if you're not familiar with Spartan Motors, and you might not be, um, they are a uh, uh, company located in Charlotte, Michigan. They make Spartan fire trucks. Um, they make Utilimaster vans um, for like people like UPS and FedEx and things like that, and, um, and food trucks. 
And um, they, they brought us in and they said, we want, to, we want to hire you to do this project. And the project was focused on um, kind of the future of firefighting. And one of the things that came out of that that I could talk about because they let us talk about it is an autonomous drone. And the reason we came up with an autonomous drone for firefighting, because quite frankly, it addressed so many different concerns that large municipalities were, were fighting against um, related to their, their model and, and the money that they expend on fighting fires and uh, maintaining a large fleet of fire trucks and that sort of thing. And uh, our good friend there said to us, well, we don't know anything at this point in time about autonomy. Can you go find out things for us? So we did. We started digging what was going on. And, and as you know, David, this area around the economy has exploded in the last 24 months. I mean, the, 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 the refocus of an entire industry and ecosystem has been um, stunning, to say the least. But back 24 months ago, and this not that long ago, um, what we realized is that a lot of companies were doing things because they were quite frankly, capable of doing them, right? The technologies existed to develop an autonomous vehicle. Google had pro proven that, Delphi, all these others were kind of sticking their feet into it, throwing things against the wall and, and doing some wonderful kind of proof points um, that would show up at places like the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. And, and Tom and I are sitting in the... Um, in one of our uh, meeting rooms uh, one day after the conclusion of the Spartan Motors thing, and we're talking about autonomy and we're talking about constraints and opportunities and benefits, <laughs> concerns and everything else that you would typically go through. And I looked at Tom and I said, I swear to God, I've seen this before. I feel like I'm going through a rinse and repeat exercise. And quite frankly, although much more defined this time, this ecosystem is being defined for us in so many different ways. It was very similar to what we saw early on in connectivity and the, and the smart home and mobility. People were doing things because they could, not necessarily because anyone wanted them, but because they could technically pull them off. And the reason, the, the, the sole purpose for the Internet Home Alliance, why the story is droning on so long, is that we were an organization that was going to focus not on the technical capabilities of, of doing connectivity, right? We weren't going to focus on Bluetooth. We weren't going to focus on broadband and Wi-Fi, although we leveraged those tools in, in what we did in pilots and things like that. What we focused on was identifying the consumer and customer-facing value propositions around connectivity itself. And that's where we saw an opportunity with autonomy. People were doing all of the technical things, right, that needed to happen. They were in development. They were refining LIDAR. They were doing all the things that they should be doing as engineers and technologists and software people. But what was happening very limitedly was a fact, a focus on what was going to be the consumer-facing value propositions around autonomy. What were going to be the customer-facing value propositions for people who were going to produce autonomous vehicles. So we decided um, at that point, uh, to uh, do something similar to the IHA. We formed a 501c6 nonprofit, which is a professional uh, alliance uh, of uh, industry people in the same ecosystem, we're in a developing ecosystem, that are going to do collaborative research together, share that information amongst the membership, um, and, and, and start to move an entire ecosystem, an entire market. Um, 
And by doing this collaboratively, because it's such an embryonic state to be in with autonomy, that we kind of all both thrive, right, faster and better and more informed by collaborating together and doing research. And, and that's what we've done. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And so uh, with um, Poco Labs, what, what year did you start that? Uh, Poco Labs started, oh, God. Uh, first it was we had one iteration of it. And then I would say, in, in essence, Poco Labs started in 2001. Okay. And what was uh, what was one of your projects that uh, you kind of learned the most from in doing a Poco Labs? Mm. Uh, I would say what was what was the most probably one of the more interesting projects. Well, there was oh god, there were so many. Um, there, I, I will oh, tell you that. Oh, before that you, I, oh before you start answer that question, I yeah. have a question before that is that so what was so? I mean, it sounds like you do some cool stuff. Like so, you you go to a company and say, hey, you have some really interesting technology and innovations. Like, let us help kind of, or maybe they they're looking for technology and you can kind of figure out how to position them, how they're going to interact. With the we've done it customers. both ways. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We've done it both ways. And, and sometimes they're, they're trying to identify a new opportunity for a company that's been doing the same thing for the last 100 years, or they have a technology that's in development that they want to leverage and apply it to um, a solution for consumers. Or quite frankly, they need help identifying a technology yeah. that will kind of take them to the next level. So we, we've worked in all three of those areas for our customers. Interesting. Okay. All right. So now back to the, the project question. If you can think of uh, one <laughs> or two that, uh, and take us through kind of your mindset, like how you approach a project that uh, would be especially interesting. Sure. So, you know, we, I will tell you just from any project that we worked on, whether it was on um, energy as a managed service, some work that we did for uh, direct energy years ago, or what we did for Xbox One, which was non-gaming applications for the um, for that, that platform, that gaming system. We, we typically always start with kind of working with the, in, the people internally at those organizations. Because just to be frank and just to be brutally honest about all of this, if you don't get buy-in, from the companies, the people who are going to end, actually implement the solutions or the opportunities that you've identified through the project that you paid, they paid for, right? Paid Poco to do for them. If you don't get the buy-in across the board inside of that organization, um, your uh, your opportunities around success diminish greatly, right? Uh, for implementation in the back end. So we typically will go in and we'll do a, what we call like a level setting. We'll, we'll understand where um, the frustrations they've had in the past with other projects that they've tried to attempt where they've tried to bring in innovation to the organization. We'll identify uh, key stakeholders. We'll talk with them about things that they're trying to accomplish now and what they want to accomplish in the future. And we'll do this level set, right? So we'll get kind of everyone on board with, the process that we're about to take them through. And that process is quite frankly informed by their customers or their potential customers. And when I say potential customers, I mean if they're moving into a new direction, if they're moving into a new ecosystem as a company, uh, they have to understand who those new customers are and how, how they may be very different from their existing company, uh, customers. So we, we kind of set the stage for them. We talked about the methodologies that we're going to use and then we kind of dive in. And typically in, in what Poco Labs does is 
we are very strong believers on in-depth qualitative research. And what I mean by that is um, you've probably heard many times before the, the term ethnography. You've probably heard of Delphi interviews. Um, you've probably heard of focus groups and one-on-ones and all of those things. And we basically leverage all of those tools. Uh, we do observational research. Um, we look at how consumers are using or, or what situations they're in that these um, potential new products or services could yeah. be used. Can you give an example? Or I, unless it's confidential, but like kind of a, a kind of a use case with a client. Sure. Yeah. Um, we did a project oh, several years ago, and it was with. Um, This this is interesting because this is also very unique to Poco Labs. We'll bring, um, if it's a new opportunity that we're trying to identify, we'll bring together five companies uh, that typically you would never consider working together with each other. And in this instance, it was a a family-focused approach to um, healthy living Hmm. and weight management. And we had brought in a food company. We brought in a technology company. We brought in a media company. Wow, that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they all basically sat at the table. And all of them, quite frankly, had the same concerns. But they were all coming in at from a, uh, and and they were they were all looking for similar opportunities. But they were all coming at it from very very different perspectives, as you can imagine. So we 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 sat down with them. We talked to them. We talked about, you know, kind of where things are today, where they could be in the future, how we could leverage technologies and things like that. And then we actually went into people's homes. We went through their cabinets. We watched them prepare meals. We sat down with the entire family, and we started talking about very sensitive issues about eating habits and about weight management and what did it mean. And um, there's, as you can probably well imagine, a tremendous amount of emotion wrapped up in the subject, Mm. particularly when you start to talk about obesity, um, when you talk about um, the level of failure for children in a a home with obese parents, um, their success rate of not being obese as they grow older is very low. Um, And the amount of unbelievable guilt that parents feel Right. And and feel although they have the knowledge and they know what's right from wrong, have a very difficult time breaking free of those habits. So um, we did uh, both in kind of facility, we call it right, a, a typical research facility. We did interviews with families and then we did ethnography where we went into their homes. And um, it was it was extraordinarily interesting and and very, I believe, rewarding in the end of how that information was used for uh, writing articles, for focusing on food uh, manufacturing, um, the use of technology to provide feedback loops for data uh, to consumers uh, on uh, their progress and what they were doing. And this was pre-fit, this was pre-all of that kind of stuff. So um, that was one, That's a, I think one of, one of the uh, great examples of how kind of we approach um, these ecosystem opportunities, uh, and, and it's really going in deep with consumers. You know, you can, what we, what we know is, you know, typically we would tell any, any of our customers, listen, if you're going to do quantitative research, that's great, but you need to do in-depth qualitative research first. You need to understand 
why people are answering the questions they are in the surveys that you're putting out. Because if you don't, you're wholesale missing potentially huge opportunities. Hmm. Yeah. Can you give an can you give an example of something that uh, um, and this might all be confidential that you have picked up? That, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you can think of one or if you can even mention it, but if you can't, that's okay. I have to ask. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, it's a very valid question. You know, it's kind of funny because um, we we come across them all the time, and we don't, you know, to, <laughs> it's kind of us to us. We don't think of them necessarily as groundbreaking yeah, now because right. you know what I mean. <laughs> but I'll give I'll give you a very recent example, okay. a very very recent example. Um, so the Autonomous Vehicle Alliance uh, has just. Uh, completed two major studies. One was on um, uh, global consumer perceptions towards autonomy, which I can I can explain what that means uh, <laughs> as we as we move forward. Uh, and the other one was uh, called Fleet Needs Assessment um, or Fleet Ecosystem Needs Assessment Research. And and what that was looking at was kind of a very broad approach to how. Um, goods and services get to people, right? How delivery trucks are used, how that experience work trucks are used, right? And, you know, there's there's kind of a, there, there was a, an initial front assumption um, by a lot of different people that when you built a delivery vehicle, um, you were taking the human out of it, right? You were removing them from that circumstance and you were thereby kind of removing costs and streamlining the approach, right? But what we realized uh, through the course of research, and this research was actually uh, conducted by my business partner, Tom Panelak, is that um, the last thing you potentially want to do uh, in an autonomous application around fleet vehicles or delivery is remove the individual. Huh. Uh, and 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 that became through kind of our come through our conversations and our observations through the research we did because. What people are, we're not getting on the, and this is where you kind of get to the solution side, right? The people who can do things because they have the technical know-how, um, making an assumption that um, this is going to be better than how it exists today, and it's not necessarily always the case. So, removing the driver uh, from the delivery scenario is not 100% by any stretch of the imagination the appropriate solution for delivery companies or for consumers. Because what you're doing in many cases is you're transferring the burden onto the customer. Because think about it now in major metropolitan areas. Um, packages get delivered to the physical desktop of the individual who's receiving that letter or package or document or whatever, right? And, and that driver negotiates elevators and stairs. When they're delivering food, they're nego negotiating back hallways and freight elevators. They're, they're bringing... Um, uh, pallets and everything else into the building for these customers, right? Removing that individual places the burden onto the customer. But what, what you will find is, is that the companies themselves will tell you that that, that individual is, is, quite frankly, a huge portion of the revenue equation for these companies, right? Because they develop relationships with the customer. They create new business opportunities. They become fab a, a part of the fabric of these communities. And, and then what autonomy can do, though, is make these people super efficient, 
right, with their times. They can do paperwork that they would typically oh, yeah. be setting aside at the end of the day, an hour or an hour and a half of paperwork can be done in the vehicle while the vehicle's taking them from point A to point B. So that's, that's, a, that's a very current example of you, you, you find this stuff out because you, you do ride and drive, because you get out into their world, the, the customer's world, and you understand um, what is needed and what's not needed and, and where the opportunities actually exist. Interesting. All right. And, and so I want to get into the uh, Tom's uh, vehicle lines. But before we do, one last question kind of around Poco Labs is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where, where, where do you see um, a lot of projects fail? I mean, you talk a lot about doing the research and the kind of talking through use cases. Do you think uh, mm-hmm. the companies do not do enough of that or are they asking the wrong questions um, or are they doing too much qualitative uh, work, not enough qualitative? Mm-hmm. It's probably yeah. a mix of everything, but... Some, sometimes um, we have we have worked with companies who will go nameless that um, <laughs> actually do do the process in reverse, which is they they think they've identified an opportunity because they do a massive quant study and then they go to prove it in qual uh, qualitative and it doesn't bear itself up hmm. because they've missed they've missed the mark right. Um, they they may get there, but it's more painful to get there, right? Um, and I think what, quite frankly, is um, when we had the economic downturn that we did, a lot of very talented people inside of some big organizations um, were let go or moved on to, to different places that, quite frankly, had kind of instilled in the organization this idea of how we were going to innovate how we were going to move forward, what tools, what methodologies were we going to use, and quite frankly, more importantly, how were we going to spread those learnings through the organization? And I think companies are getting back to that now. Um, But for a while there, it was very dark, um, and um, there wasn't a lot of innovation going on because of um, the economic downturn that we went through several years ago. So I think that's coming back, um, and I'm, I'm very pleased to see that. Um, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, you, as old as I am, I've seen so many things come and go, uh, so many different acronyms and terms used <laughs> for some very basic tools, um, that have always stood the test of time. So, um, quite frankly, it, it really gets down to the subtleties of who's doing the work for you and are they good? Um, and are they efficient at doing it? Um, are they good communicators, both internally and with your consumers that they're talking to? Um, and those are just key things that anybody should be looking at uh, moving forward gotcha. to innovate and, and create new products and services. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about the Autonomous, Autonomous Vehicle Alliance, which is a, mm-hmm. quite the appropriate for this day and age. And is that one of the <laughs> main things Poco Labs is working on now? Like, is that one of your main focus areas? Is that Thomas vehicles? It's certainly, it, it's certainly one of our areas of focus. We're 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 still working on other projects, but um, it's it's a big animal, and um, <laughs> it's 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 it, it's interesting because you know our our board is made up currently. Our board is made up of um, General Motors, Ford Motor Company, Allstate Insurance, um, Cox Automotive out of Atlanta, mm. and. Um, uh, FCA Chrysler, um, uh, Fiat Chrysler, who just who are, but quite frankly, our newest board member. Um, and we started uh, we started basically May of last year. 
wow. uh, is when we kicked off oh, the organization. <laughs> so they're on our board. They're on our board, right? Big, big, yeah. big behemoth companies, right? Uh, who all have a different, very uh, different lens that they're looking through. Uh, very similar in the sense of what they're trying to accomplish, except if you, I mean, if, when you take into account, into account Cox Automotive and Allstate, very different perspectives on the world, right? Uh, and then we have people below them, um, uh, contributing members who are not on the board, but um, still very vital to the organization. Magna International, Spartan Motors, who I referred to very early on, who is our uh, fire engine and utility master uh, um, customer. And then um, Taubman, which I, a lot of people don't know who Taubman is. Uh, they're traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They are one of the uh, largest um, luxury mall developers in the u.s oh yeah 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 i'm surprised and, um, that's cool okay. you, yeah. it's always a surprise for everybody yeah. but when you think about it when you think about their business as, as providing these environments yeah. for retailers right when you think about how they have probably owned more parking spaces and i could say this about simon or westfield or anyone else in that space um who are mall developing companies but they own more parking spaces than they do retail space. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's more dedicated space to parking than there is to retail. When you when you start to think about their business as a whole, you you understand their need to understand what an autonomous vehicle is going to do to their business in the next 10, 15, 20 years because they're making some big bets on where they're going to be placing um, their infrastructure, huh. right, in the years to come. So, and they're, they're great partners uh, working with the OEMs and working with everyone else at the at the Alliance. And we're, we're quite frankly, in, uh, is, as we always are, is looking for new members to join the organization because, quite frankly, the more and different perspectives, like Tottenham's, like Allstate's, like Cox Automotive and Magda, the more you bring into an organization like this, the more uh, robust it becomes and the more better informed it becomes for everybody in the ecosystem that's developing around autonomy. So how did you, because you, you guys started this, right, essentially. Mm -hmm. So how do, yeah. you, how do you go about starting it? Did you and come up with the idea where you're talking to one of these companies and they're like, oh, you know, it'd be nice to... to have more uh, ideas or kind of around well, the consumer's perspective. Yeah. You, were, yeah. you know, we started with people that we knew, obviously, who didn't think we're, weren't going to think we were crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we, we went in and just had some very frank down to earth conversations with them. And we were talking about how this ecosystem around autonomous vehicles is very embryonic at this point. Um, it is ripe to do, Collaboration. In fact, what's really interesting about this is about two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, BCG, a Boston consulting group, uh, did a, a major paper. It was one of the first papers that was ever done on autonomy, autonomous vehicles. And one of the things that came out of that, at uh, the back end of that piece of research, was the industry is going to have to collaborate. If, they're, if, they're, if this is going to happen, um, major players are going to have to collaborate with each other early on to make autonomy uh, real and meaningful to consumers. And um, and that was one of the things that we believed wholeheartedly. So when we started the conversations and we were talking with our friends at General Motors and Ford and others, we, we were basically sharing with them um, that this is the right time to be doing this. This is the right time to sit down and start talking about um, autonomy, but in a, in a much bigger way, that it wasn't necessarily just about the vehicles and how we were going to make them run, but what were the vehicles going to do to change how consumers live their lives? 
And, and I'll be honest with you, after having so many of these conversations up to this point in time, I will tell you that I, I honestly don't believe consumers have an understanding, well, they couldn't, quite frankly, have an understanding of how much their world is going to change in the next 10 to 20 years. Really? And and I and I believe that (laughs) sure. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting when you think about you know uh, people always point always point to the the iPhone and Apple coming out with the iPhone and they we talk about how we communicate as individuals, how we network socially, um, quite frankly, how we take pictures, right? (laughs) How how we how we broadcast (laughs) to the world where where we are, who we're with, and what we're eating, right? And and. And the, the, the amount of computing power, the amount of access that we have to computing power in our hands has been a, a sea change in, in how we um, communicate and how we network and how we make decisions on a day-to-day level. And what's really interesting about vehicles, when you think about it, is they play such a huge, important, and vital role. But when you start to think about a vehicle that can drive itself – so many things become opportunities. So many things start to change and how we start to process and how we value um, where we're going and how we're getting there and what we're doing. And and I think that that is going to be a very, very What's interesting. Or, what, yeah. oh, it's okay. I always get, I'll give you the, I'll give you the fun one, okay. right? I'll, right give, I'll give you the fun, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the fun example. Okay. So there's been there's been talk about this. this has been openly talked about. Um, so um, uh, let's say you decide that you want to own an autonomous vehicle, yeah. right? And and we're and I'm going to talk about level four, level five autonomous vehicles. So these are fully autonomous vehicles, okay. right? And quite quite frankly, don't even they don't even have to have a human being sitting in them, right? This is level four or five, and and it can go from place to place, right? <clears throat> But what's really interesting about that whole scenario, when you think about it, is as a consumer who may own a vehicle, right? And there will be all different kinds of ownership models when autonomous vehicles come into fruition, right? And they become part of the, um, they become greater, a, a bigger part, right, than the smaller part of the ecosystem, right? When you own an autonomous vehicle, what could that autonomous vehicle do for you when you may be sitting at work? Right, because autonomous vehicles, in essence, can and take you from door to door. It can take you from your garage or from the front door of your apartment or townhouse or home, right? And it can deliver you to the door of your place of work. It could be 20, 30, 40 minutes away, right? Yeah. But what, is that car, what could that car do for you? How could that car be more productive for you when... You're not even using it because right now, as we know, cars sit in parking lots for anywhere from eight to 10 hours or more per day, right? Yeah. Think about it sitting yeah. in your garage overnight. Think about sitting in the parking lot at work. It's way more than eight to 10 hours, right? But they, in many cases, they're sitting idle. So could you send that car to go pick up groceries? Could that car go pick up your dry cleaning? Could that car be lent out to people like UPS and FedEx and the United Postal Service, and you just give access to them or Uber or Lyft or anyone else, and that car starts to generate money for you, it starts paying for itself when you're sitting working. Hmm. So it's a very different way of thinking about 
autonomy, right? And it's about, you know, I, it, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's meaningless to say to certain people, okay, well, what's the, what's the killer app, right? What's the use case that we're going for? <laughs> but when you, but when you start to interpret it that way, when you start to actually show consumers what an autonomous vehicle could do and how they could interact with it, it becomes way more meaningful. Uh, and quite frankly, the level of fear and mistrust starts to diminish because the value propositions become greater uh, than those fears or that distrust. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of, that's a, just a, it's just a, one example of a different way to look at it, right? That, that car becomes a revenue source um, for you when you are working. Gotcha. Okay. We're not using that car. So we only have a, a few more minutes left. So this, I got a few more questions. So we'll have to go a little more rapid fire here. Sure. Um, if, if that's, but, uh, cause uh, there's definitely different questions I have for you. And, uh, let's, okay. let's see, um, how, oh yeah. So I, I was curious, you know, how, how do you facilitate discussion? How do you know what to talk about and make sure, you know, that, everyone's needs are being addressed. And I know this is, this is a hard rapid fire question, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll do it. I'll do it as simple as possible. Yeah. Uh, our, our job has some, sometimes been described as herding cats because you have so many different uh, opinions coming into the table, but quite frankly, that's where the strength lies mm. is in all those different opinions because everybody's coming at the same subject matter from a different perspective, whether I'm in retail or I make the vehicles or I insure the vehicles or whatever, right? So that's where the strength of this organization exists is in those differing opinions. And what we do is we, we navigate through those to really get to the answers that each one of our members is looking for, right? And, and it's, it's quite frankly not as hard as you think. It's just that we've been doing it longer than most people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, and we, know, we know how to facilitate those conversations <laughs> and to be able to get people to that that point where they're they're getting the value out of the discussion, right? They're getting the value out of the participation yeah, and the exactly. collaboration. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and uh, next question is so like, I'm I'm super pumped for autonomous cars because I never okay. need, I never need to drive again in my opinion. But <laughs> but I also have people who are like my age who are like I can most I say most of my friends are kind of in the same boat as me. But there's definitely people who are like I like driving. Like I don't want to ride mm -hmm. around. You know, sure. what, what have you found from uh, consumers? It, it, I, I don't know what type of studies you've done, but have you, I mean, are people excited for this? Or are there a lot of people who are very wary? Or well, You know what? We just did this longitudinal global study, and we went to the, to the U.S., we, uh, we went to Germany, we went to China, we went to Brazil. And, um, you know, opinions vary over the course, over the globe, right? But what's really interesting is that perceptions in China and Brazil are, very positive as compared to Germany, huh, right? And really? and and more and quite frankly, more positive than the U.S. But huh. it's it, that, that's not a far stretch. And the reason you when you think about it, when you step back from it and you look at how these consumers are living their lives, if you're looking at China, you have massive, dense urban populations, and we've all seen the studies and we've all watched the video of the Chinese sitting in hours and hours of gridlock, yeah. right? They see this as helping to alleviate that, or at least if I'm going to be in that, I don't have to pay attention. I can be more productive in the vehicle, right? I can get other things done if that vehicle is autonomous, right? And, 
And so it, it's varying right now, but it's very un- embryonic. But what I'll tell you is that in general, um, people are either neutral or more positive. But here's the key takeaway from this first piece of research that we did. There is a massive opportunity for education, massive opportunity to educate the consumers worldwide on what an autonomous vehicle is, how it operates, and what it could do in their lives. Because what we we did, and we, we made a conscious decision to do this, the membership did, is that when the survey starts, the quantitative portion of the survey starts, it is what we call unaided and aided. In other words, we asked them several questions about trust and leadership and what do they think of autonomous vehicles and benefits and concerns that's unaided. In other words, they're going into it with just the knowledge they have today, right? Just what they right. walked in the what they walked in the room with. Then we give them an aided description. In other words, we tell them the definition of what an autonomous vehicle is and give them a rough idea about what it can do. The minute we do that, they're the positiveness increases, right? Their their view of solutions and what we're talking about is enhanced because they're educated. And and that is one of the key things moving forward with the study because the study is going to be done globally every six months. It's a longitudinal oh, wow. study. Wow. And we're going to be tracking how these perceptions are changing. And as you know, every time you pick up the paper or turn the TV on, there's another story about autonomous vehicles, right? So what, we're, what we want to do is track those changes. We want to track the concerns. We want to track the perceived benefits. But what we've realized just in this pilot study is there is a massive opportunity for education. Interesting. And quite frankly, no one owns that story right now. No one. Huh. No, you're right. Wow. Interesting. Okay. And, uh, and, and have you guys thought much about uh, how – cars will be designed in the future i know it's not quite i mean it's maybe more on the technology but uh, i know like they won't have a steering wheel but uh, have you thought about more Mm -hmm. like uh, what about like motion sickness and stuff when people are like facing all over the place and like oh yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are talking about well if you if we all sit at the table i have to be facing (laughs) yeah exactly right (laughs) (laughs) yep Kind That's of like me. picking the booth in the restaurant. You have to have yep. your back in the corner. Type yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? But uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and all of these things are going to be, um, they're working on. Um, okay. You know, I don't, I, I can't tell you exactly what they're doing inside of right. uh, my OEM members, but I will tell you that they're all looking at it and they're all working on it. And quite frankly, if you just went to CES, there were several examples. FCA had one of them of um, what an, an interior of an autonomous um, vehicle could be like. Hmm. Interesting. And, and so and you, have, you have like the purpose, a perfect uh, membership to discuss this. And I guess we've touched on probably part of it, but you know, what other services around self-driving do you see um, being developed? <laughs> like the whole, because we talk a lot about kind of the, you know, the, they have the, well, uh, kind of a mobility. So like, you, you know, you're not going to own a car and like, it's just yeah. very fluid. Um, but what else is mm-hmm. going to be? You know, here's here's the one that I'll throw I'll yeah. throw out to you and your audience to yeah. think about, right? Um, and this is, you know, we we um, uh, there's a lot that I can't talk to you about today right. on, the, on the phone, <laughs> but but I'll, I'll I'll throw this one out there to you, which is um, in a world where you got high utilization of a vehicle, and that that is 
the opportunity around autonomous vehicles, right? Especially particularly in a in a shared vehicle scenario, right? Like yeah. a, a pay per use yeah. model, right? Um, what's really interesting about that is that those cars are going to be running a lot, right? So who's going to take care of those cars? Where are they going to go? Um, uh, there, there's, there's opportunities there. There are, I believe there's some big opportunities there in the sense of maintenance and what do they look like and how do we keep them ready for the road and, you know, that, that sort of thing. It's, um, no, no answers, but it's, it's going to be interesting. High utilization is um, brings a whole set of um, concerns and opportunities. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, you're going to need a huge amount of maintenance compared to a normal car now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and, he, and here's the other part about that, which is, you know, um, are they going to be internal combustion? Are they going to be all electric? Are yeah. they going to be hydrogen, hydrogen propulsion? You know, that, those are big questions. And, and, you know, we're not the tech guys. That, that's something that's being worked on. But um, I think that there's some consumer perceptions out there that, you know, these vehicles are not necessarily going to be powered the same way that our vehicles of today are. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. So one more question, and this is more sure. just because you're not going to know the answer because no one does. But uh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're kind of in the middle of this, so I have to ask. And I, okay. had, a, I had this CEO of a Nutanomy on here, so I asked him the same question. And um, okay. so, you know, I'm I'm curious if you had a guess when's gonna and and I'm curious based on um, kind of experience too with the the Home Connected uh, Alliance, like that took a while to like come mm-hmm. to fruition. Yep. So I'm curious yep. here, you know, how soon will we be able to see in one city a level five kind of autonomy service? Like I know they're doing trials now, but like an actual service mm-hmm. where you just how soon do you think uh, we'll see something like that? You know, um, <laughs> well, let me let me let me preface let me preface this. Um, if you would have asked me that question twenty four months ago, yeah, my answer would have been completely different. If you would have asked it to me twelve months ago, it would have been different than the twenty four months. And now that you're asking me this today, I will tell you that, and this is this has nothing to do with my numbers or the yeah, ADA yeah. or view or views thereof. But okay. if you're asking me personally, yeah. Yeah. Just Wood, personally, what do I think? I believe we are going to see a service in a dense urban city in three years. Oh, and, really? and, 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 and it could, and it could, although trialing could happen sooner, but I believe that we're going to see a service in three years. You would, we haven't and released... it will be oh, and ahead. it will be in a very it will be in a very defined yeah. geofenced area but it will it will I believe it will personally I believe it will happen and I believe that is when we're going to see changes in consumer that's where we're going to see the biggest changes in consumer perceptions towards autonomous interesting oh man yeah I can't wait and actually I mean you're, that's a pretty well educated uh, opinion because, well, the, the CEO and Natami gave pretty much the same answer. And that, that has not been released yet, so you have not heard that. So that was he, he said exactly the same thing almost. It was I think his is maybe more like three or four, but uh, he said in the dense yeah. area of def- defined and yeah. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Well, good. Mm-hmm. I'm holding both of you guys to it now because I want to see it. <laughs> I'll, fly, I'll, I'll fly out to wherever that is and participate. Oh, okay. That's the deal. I'm yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, Tim, this has been awesome. So uh, 
So I think that's a good way to end. I really appreciate your time, your thoughts. You've done a lot of interesting stuff. I I could probably talk about one project with you for like three hours. But, uh, you know. <laughs> well, that would be fun. And if you yeah. want to do that in the future, I'd love to. Yeah, that could be interesting to dissect one project someday. Um, but no, I definitely appreciate it. So thanks for coming on the show, Tim. No problem. And and um, just a real quick question, yeah. David. Will you be able to send me a link? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yep. Awesome. Yep, awesome. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, uh, and thanks everyone for listening to, uh, another episode of Flyver Labs. As always, I, uh, greatly appreciate it. And we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Tim. Take thanks, care. Everyone.